0: What is up, everyone? Before we get into this episode, I just want to thank our sponsors, the African Students Association from the University of Notre Dame for sponsoring us, and let's hear a bit more about what they have to say about their Pan-African Youth Conference, which will be happening in March.
1: Kwame Nkuruma, Julius Nyerere, Nelson Mandela, Patrice Lumumba. The historic mission of that first generation of African leaders was to liberate Africa from the throngs of colonialism and imperial domination. Thomas Sankara, Yoweri Museveni, Jerry Rawlings. The historic mission of the second generation of African leaders was to consolidate the gains from independence and to set Africa on the path to socio-economic transformation. As the current generation of young Africans, we too are faced with an important task of first, discovering what our historic mission is as a generation, and secondly, deciding whether to fulfill or betray that mission. Thus, The African Students Association of the University of Notre Dame will host a virtual edition of the Pan-African Youth Conference, which will bring together a Pan-African network of university students from Africa and across the world. Participants at the conference will grapple with four critical questions that are pertinent to our understanding of our historic mission as a generation. One, who are we as Africans? Where are we as a continent? How did we get here? and most importantly, where and how do we go from here? The conference will feature a keynote address from one of contemporary Africa's foremost thought leaders, Professor Achille Mbembe from the University of Cape Town. We invite you to be part of a Pan-African network of young Africans seeking to discover the historic mission of our generation and to fulfill it. Africa needs you. Will you answer the call?
0: To register for this event, Follow the link in my bio on my Instagram or my Tiktok. Let's get right into the episode. What is up, guys? My name is Adnan Shafi and I'll be your host again for Pariah Nation. It is Timbuk Tuesday and it is episode 4 that we're going to be diving in today and we're specifically going to be focusing on the Benin Bronzes as part of a larger question of where did Africa's stolen loot go? So, as you know, during the period of colonialism and even sometimes uh, before that, there were several European forces and expeditions that went into the African continent and they plundered several kingdoms and burnt many to the ground, but they did not just do it aimlessly. How did they pay for these expeditions? As we'll come to discover, what they actually did was they actually got artifacts from the African continent, different sides east, west, And eventually they sold them off and even some of them were bought by British Museum uh, officials. So we'll be heading into all of this. I will briefly just be giving you guys a bit of an overview of the story of the Benin Bronzes, and as well as some other artifacts as well. We're going to head into the question of, are we even going to get them back? And we're also going to be looking at some different other discussions in relation to these artifacts okay guys let's get right into it so there's three specific articles of artifacts that we'll be looking at um we'll home in on the benin bronzes and do the rest of the episode on that but let's just start off with the first three examples so we have the rosetta stone obviously this is a tablet that came from egypt where they had written hieroglyphs on it the ancient egyptians use that as a way of writing and this was one of the key artifacts that they use to be able to decode hieroglyphs and that's one of those things that came out from this a tablet being in possession of the British, essentially. And obviously it was wrongfully taken. I think there was a conflict between the French and the British, and in a town called Rosetta in Egypt, they just sort of took it and assumed that it, would, it was theirs, which, in my opinion, is quite arrogant. Then you also have another case where Emperor the II from Ethiopia, a lot of his loot from his kingdom was taken... Uh, after a bit of a conflict unfolded between him and the British. So what I what essentially happened was there was already a rocky tension between the Ethiopian Empire at that time and the British. And he was sort of suspicious of British envoys and British missionaries. And they, he thought that they were going to plot against him.
1: That's suspicious. That's weird.
0: So he uh, had put some of them in jail and he had also sort of kept some as hostages and said that, you know, I know you, that you're trying to plot against me to the British. And I actually don't doubt that that might have been possible if you look at the Benin story, for example. Um, but that's that's something we'll get into later in the podcast. But that actually unfolded into a, a major conflict and they eventually came through to the kingdom and the emperor knew that they were going to lose the fight. So he committed suicide and they took all of the goods from there. So, I mean, it's it's... It's quite odd the way this this whole concept of ownership and you know property seems to matter so much to to European governments, but when it comes to African or even other otherworldly you know not otherworldly sorry other continents, um, claiming ownership of something it doesn't really matter anymore, which is kind of ridiculous in my opinion. So obviously we'll head over to the Benin bronzes, but to give you some sort of scale or size about what we're looking at. Um, there's a specific document that actually mentions and it's taken um, some statistics of all of these different um, African artifacts. So the estimate, and this is the document, is the restitution of African cultural heritage towards a new relational ethics. Right? This was released in 2018. They say that there are 438,000 of our ancient artifacts in European museums, which is an outstanding number. It's, it's shocking to even hear that number out loud. But it just goes to show how deep of a problem this is and how much looting actually went on. And I think it's it's important at this stage in time for us to just sort of reflect on that. What is, I mean, just imagine the cognitive dissonance of people claiming that Africa had nothing to offer. You guys just lived in quotes in unsophisticated dwellings of dirt and cow manure, you know, the way people try and make it seem, they try to belittle our culture. Why are you the same people who will readily defend these artifacts staying in your museums? If our culture is so insignificant, why did so many of your soldiers come over here and take our artifacts and head back home with them and sell them for a fortune? It makes absolutely no sense. And it it really goes to show that the colonial narrative was hidden behind so much contradiction but the one thing that really kept it together was the idea of profit it's all just about profit it's all just about profit they don't really care about culture so we'll head into the story of the benin bronzes and we'll see what else this whole narrative has to offer so what happened with the benin bronzes first of all let's take you back to nigeria before nigeria was nigeria essentially let's take you to west africa Benin City what you're going to see is a marvelous city we've talked about it several times some Dutch philosopher uh, by the name of Alfred Dapper mentioned that and actually compared Benin City to the exchange in Amsterdam talked about magnificent apartments there were some Portuguese traders that went to Benin as well and mentioned it as having streets as far as the eye can see and it had street lights which was something that wasn't so common back home in portugal and they talked about they actually compared the size of the city to that of lisbon essentially so this is really it's really interesting stuff and you can see that the benin um, kingdom was essentially a very sophisticated society and how they used to actually take note of the history was they used to make these bronze casts and the benin bronzes are not just You know, bronze per se. They're not just like you know casting of metals, but some of them are the tusks, ivory tusks. Some of them are just wooden carvings, etc. But these were ways of recording kinship, the ways of recording which nobles sat in the royal court, etc. And these were very, very significant. And it's not just something to marvel at and something to say, "Oh, this is beautiful." This is cultural history of the people of Benin that is now currently sitting across museums in New York. Metropolitan Museum specifically, the British Museum in the UK, um, specific other museums in I believe it's Germany as well as Austria and France. So we can clearly see that this is basically other people's history and other people's culture sitting in the museums. So what actually happened that sparked the looting of the city of Benin. So if you go back to 1897, what you actually see is a man by the name of James Phillips, he's a British officer, was kind of mad with the whole situation that was going on. Britain has recently just acquired Nigeria as uh, its now a new colony and it wants to be able to cons- control trade in the area. Obviously, keep in mind that this is already an unjust claim. It's an unjust war at this point. And the Oba, which is the equivalent of the king in Benin, had blocked certain trade routes uh, on the account of, obviously, he didn't feel comfortable that the British were using those trade trade routes, those trade areas, essentially. So he blocked that off. So James Phillips was a, a British officer who tried to go to the Oba to just tell him that you need to allow us to trade. And when he appeared in Benin, they told him that the king was actually going to uh they were having a religious festival so the king was not available for the next two days uh man james unfortunately said that he was not going to obviously accept that as an excuse and he decided to barge into the kingdom at this point it's trespassing and keep in mind this is a bit of more context uh his captain i believe his captain's name is galway had already talked about this rumor of Benin being a city of blood and them being killers, even though several European uh, visitors have not been able to corroborate that story. So essentially you're already having people frame uh, the people of Benin for being these, in quote, savage killers, etc. And when you look at um, another situation, James Phillips himself actually wanted to overthrow the Oba, and (laughs) he had those intentions. So it's, it's important for us to unpack that and realize that this wasn't just some innocent man who was going as an envoy this was someone who was trespassing someone who had intent to overthrow the kingdom so obviously the king was already the, the oba apologies was already um worried about what, what was going to happen and by this time he had told his soldiers to stand by so i believe it was him as well as seven other people from his uh, expedition were killed and this sparked a major response from the British army. They sent 1,200 troops and they looted the city of Benin and they killed several people as well. And that's how the Benin bronzes were actually brought over to the UK and to different parts of Europe. And they essentially used these funds that they had acquired from selling these Benin bronzes to finance their expedition. So this is exactly how this system. Is working. There is no two ways about it. So now we're just going to get into a bit of a moral case of, you know, first of all, we'll, we'll go into where they are, what's happening to the Benin Bronzes, and then we'll sort of just construct a moral case for why we should have those back. So as I've already stated in the other part of the podcast, just before this, we can see that this is this is cultural significance. This is history, right? And I would say that if we're looking at it in the context of the spoils of war, yes, there are times where you can and you probably will be able to take the spoils of war, right, for example, and, and it might be just, for example. And yeah, stick with me, guys, stick with me, because it's a bit of a complex uh, argument, but essentially, if you're fighting a just war, whatever that may be, but I'm gonna use a bit, uh, a few different standards over here, right? If you're fighting a just war, Right. And one of the things that you acquire during that just war is war booty or it's uh, essentially stolen like loot. I would say that uh, that is probably, as I said, just acquisition. For example, if um, if you're fighting a war against an invading force and then eventually you take the invader's land, you can cultivate that land. And you're using that essentially that that land is part of your loot. Right. And. It's the, they're the ones who attacked you, right? And as long as they didn't have good reason or reason to fear for their safety, etc., or you weren't oppressing a group of people, etc., all these different things that come into play, right? As long as that wasn't happening, they can actually say that, you can actually say that, that you're fighting a just war. So, I mean, obviously you can have a whole political debate around this whole topic, but I would just say that automatically, if you look at the way the British exerted their property rights over their land, all these different things, You know this land belongs to someone else. Even in the case of the the Ethiopian case, right? Yes, there were hostages that were taken, etc. But we actually don't know what the intentions of those specific people were. And we know that, obviously, um, something similar happened in Benin, where it was not necessarily about, oh, we want to collaborate with you. When it came to other African countries, we're going to take over, right? This is why James Phillips had this idea that he wanted to take over the the kingdom of benin and de, essentially just dethrone the oba and take all the resources pay for the expedition and seize that trade route so i'm not gonna go and say that i'm like obviously it's uh it's 100 sure that in ethiopia for example that, that was a case of just war but i'm just giving another example in the case of benin i definitely think that the people of benin genuinely perceived that to be a threat especially the fact that there was also 500 men that came with um, the whole British envoy before James Phillips was there. So obviously, there's questions about are you trying to invade us or not? And it seemed like they were very much ready to invade because if you could bring 1,200 men and go ahead and invade, that's definitely something that could happen. So from there, we'll actually see is like the main thing is it's not your property. We've established that your claims towards a just war are gone. There's no way that you can claim that it's a just war. It's not your land. You should not be there. There's no people that you're freeing from any uh like you know slavery or oppression right and even in the cases as you some people might be listening and wondering oh yeah but what about the slave patrols etc right i'm not necessarily mentioning those right now but that's a different discussion that we can have on another podcast but especially in this case there's no way that anyone can come to me and say that this is a just war then additionally i hear this argument of now that we're already here we have the bronzes, we have all of the cultural uh, artifacts in our museums. Let's just keep them on behalf of you. Your governments are so corrupt and they're so dysfunctional that you, we can't trust you with uh, these artifacts, these pure, the, the things of pure antiquity. First of all, that isn't even your property. You don't actually care about the cultural significance. If you cared about the cultural significance of that property, you would return it to the people who actually owned it. Right. And when you start to mention that, oh, we're going to take care of it for you. No, you're taking care of it for your own sake, because you see this as a profit making tool, which is why you are the kind of person who will literally just take away that culturally significant thing. And you'll use this idea or this argument that we're going to, in quotes, take care of it for you as a sort of guise for this capitalistic profit mindset. It's quite sad, to be honest. And um, we can see that when people mention that argument, they're trying to say they're trying to essentially um, bypass what are commonly established property rights that everyone knows that you're not supposed to take something that's not yours. So that's definitely. Uh, and people can ask, oh, yeah, but what about the fact that they're being they're on display uh, in these you know big museums or what gets to see them? Who's profiting from that? It's obviously these museums, where are any of the profits going back to the specific people? Even if the profit went back to those people, right, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, they should have full say, the people who own these these pieces of artifacts, right, they should have a full say of what's going to happen to the property. Even if they wanted to destroy it, it's their property, right? And you should have no qualms with that whatsoever. So that's going to wrap up our moral case. It's very simple. Property does not, does not belong to you. The war that was fought was not a just war. Therefore, you cannot claim that this in any way, shape, or form is, um, I'd say, a lawful holding of, of these items in, in your possession, essentially. You cannot be possessing these items and claiming that it's in any way, shape, or form remotely moral. So that's one of the things that we'll definitely try to mention. But now let's look at the efforts that have been made in trying to actually get these... Um, resources, uh, sorry, these artifacts are taken back to their specific homes. So let's take a look at what some groups have tried to do to ensure that these African artifacts get back to their rightful cultures and that they're restituted legally and in as uh, as quick as as time frame as possible. Uh, And we we should first look at a bit of the context because we're talking about the Benin Bronzes. Um, We're dealing with things in the British Museum and these are governed by the British Museum Act of 1963. And this actually forbids museums from disposing, or you know, giving away any of the items, unless under special circumstances. So even just getting around this is a bit of an issue. So, in relation to the Benin bronzes themselves, I mean, there was a time where I believe Nigeria had wanted to, the Nigerian government wanted to ask for them to be brought back for a cultural uh, festival, and they tried to charge them three million dollars insurance. Um, to allegedly, you know, just make sure that if anything happens to the artifact, that they get paid for it.
1: What did you say?
0: Which, I mean, it's total. I'd say it's insult to injury, in my opinion, as the New York Times article that I read describes it. Um, but definitely, there's other, there's the other forums that are being had, the uh, the discussions that are being had about the Benin Bronzes, about loaning them back. I'd say that this, it, it's still. For me, it sits very deep in my heart as, um, I mean, it's progress, but I also feel a tinge of disappointment because, I mean, how can you learn something that isn't even yours in the first place? I imagine I just come and I steal a wedding photo from your parents' room and they want it back. And let's say that's the only thing that actually after they pass on, that's the only thing that you have to remember your parents. And I'm just like, you know, what, I'm going to loan it to you for like a year. You just have to pay me. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I quite frankly think that they should be restituted fully. There should not be no discussion about it. It's not even controversial. And I think they're worried about the profits. And yeah, to be honest, I don't really... It's none of my concern about whether they generate profit or not uh, because they're generating profit off of an unjust means, essentially, out of unjust means. Um, but it's good to see that a benin bronze's dialogue has opened up And I think that this is the means through which they've been able to discuss getting back to Benin Bronzes. But this is obviously something that will take a lot of time um, and a lot of effort. And I recommend that we keep keep on putting the pressure. Uh, Even with these Black Lives Matter protests, with a Black History Month, the more and more that the population actually starts to see the injustice that is being done. And the fact that some people, as one professor remarked it, some people from Nigeria won't even be able to see the Benin Bronzes in their life. And they come from that same kingdom right? It's unfortunate. It's so, so unfortunate, right? The moment that we show society that this is actually what's happening, I'm pretty sure that people will be able to rise up, and we might actually be able to get full restitution. On the other hand, there has been instances, for example, of things being returned, like Germany, obviously the colonizers of Namibia, they recently sent a 15th century stone cross back to Namibia, And that's one of the things that's been restituted. One of the biggest ones that we've seen so far, though, um, is obviously quite recently, um, the US had illegally or like, you know, yeah, essentially illegally acquired um, some artifacts from Egypt and the US also returned them. But also now, Italy had returned some of the Axum obelisks. I mean, it was one obelisk that weighs over 400 tons, very tall, I think it's around 300 meters tall, and it was built without a crane. These are definite... Um, hallmarks of African history they managed to return that um, and they paid for the cost which is something that I would definitely applaud Italy for, although that this is, I just want to mention that this is very, very small progress, let's not get too excited although it shows that there is a small element of good faith across the table, but other than that, we just have to keep putting pressure, there's certain legal teams that are working on this, there's certain restitution boards that are also trying to push these Uh, museums to try and be able to get people um, those artifacts that they actually need for the cultural significance. So just to wrap up, what do I think? Do I think that we're going to get them back? I don't know if we're going to get them back in our lifetime, to be honest, Uh, considering how much profit they might generate for different museums around the world. The fact that these are unique African artifacts, the fact that if they were to give them back, they would not be able to find them anywhere else or anything that rivals them. Um, Because even, for example, the Benin Bronzes are one of the best examples of bronze casting or metal casting in general. Um, I think that it's gonna be very difficult to convince um, these groups to be able to hand back these things. But apart from that, I think that we should just definitely focus on trying to put pressure, trying to raise awareness. Every single Black History Month, Every time we have a protest, we need to bring these things up. Yeah, so thank you so much, everyone, for your time. I really hope that you're enjoying Timbuk Tuesdays. Let me know your thoughts and opinions. And if you can, share the episode and help people learn more about these topics. They're definitely important. I want to thank everyone for listening once again. And have a wonderful day or a wonderful evening. And we'll see you in the next episode.